Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. What's up, everybody? Happy New Year. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Man, I was, I was gazing at that hot girl like before I came up, and I'm like, oh, it's my turn. So, hey, welcome. Um, if you need one of these things and you need extra time like I did last time we did communion, uh, feel free to go ahead and grab one. Later on when we do it, you can put your hand up in the, and they'll bring you one. If you're with us online, feel free to go in the pantry, grab a little cracker, grab some bread, do whatever, you know, bring something along so that when we get to that point in the service, we can all do communion together. Hey, um, I got to give you guys some big props. First, for everybody who participated in our Christmas Eve worship experiences, as cold as it was, we had some dope, awesome volunteers come out and serve everybody. So round of applause for those volunteers. Thank you. Thanks for serving us. There's five people that I know about that gave their lives to Jesus for the very first time during those services. So God be praised for that. I also got to give you props because you've already raised 107% of your goal for the Awaken the Dawn Christmas offering. Okay, so um, guys, way to go. That's going to go toward helping victims of sex trafficking get out. It's going to bring justice to the villains that cause that kind of thing. It's also going to help people in Ukraine get medical supplies that they need. We're going to keep it open for the rest of the month because that was the original plan if you want to give to uh, those agendas. But hey, man, way to go. I'm just so proud of my church. You did this last year too. You finished a month early and I just, I love it. Way to go. Uh, before we get into the message, two other real quick reminders uh, fierce men. We're kind of retooling the men's ministry. We're having an informational kind of vision casting meeting next Saturday morning. Men's, we, men, we'd love to see you there. Gals, if you've got a dude that should go, just, just kick him out that morning, man. Just, just get rid of him. Get, get him out there some way so that he, he can get with us. Also, a week from today, right after church, we're going to have a junior high interest meeting for a junior high group that would meet during service, okay? So I've got a kid in junior high. Some of you parents, you know what this is like. They're too old for fierce kids, but they come in here and, you know, I'm just not that interesting to a young person uh, about that age. And in previous years, we had a group that would, like leaders would bring a little bit of small group community to our junior hires. And we've got some folks that are really interested in getting that restarted. So we're going to do that. We're going to have an interest meeting about that right after church next weekend. I hope that you're going to be there. Hey, um, as we go into the new year, I'm super excited. Everybody's optimistic when, when we start a new year. Here's what I know, though. In addition to great, awesome things where, you know, your life is going to go great, we also know there's probably some difficulties in the new year. And we think about, you know, nobody saw the war in Ukraine coming, and yet that came just the same. Before that, nobody saw COVID coming, and yet that came just the same. And so we just want to have our wits about us and know that, yeah, there's going to be awesome things, but there's probably going to be some difficult things. And so we want to prepare. So that's why we're starting with the Strangers Here series. Sometimes uh, when we start a series, we take a, a topic, we go broadly across the scripture. We see, what does the Bible say about this? In this case, we're going to go deep. We're going to take one book of the Bible, 1 Peter, and we're going to go very deep at the first part of the year. This book is largely about people that are undergoing difficulty and I figure, man, let's just, let's just train right now so that we're ready for whatever comes our way. In the middle of this series, we're going to take a little time off. We're going to go into a two-part vision series, okay? That's because I want you to know kind of what we're doing, what we're thinking about as a church. We're going to take some time off, and off in February is a little bit better attended than January, so we're going to, right there, we're going to 
cast that vision, then we're going to come back, and then we're going to travel on to some more, um, I think, exciting stuff that you're going to love. But anyway, we're starting this Strangers Here series. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as strangers. To those who reside as strangers. We're going to get into exactly what he's talking about, but we all know what it's like to be a stranger, right? Like you've been a stranger. We're, we're all different, really. I mean, think about you, you just, you like different things. You're from different, maybe culture, different ethnicity, even within families, families know this. Kids can be very different. Siblings are very different from one another. So you know what this is like. Even, even what you like is different than what other people like. What you think is wrong or right is different. And so we all kind of know that we're different. That's not really a big surprise. But the Bible goes a, a level deeper than that and says there's a, there's a second level of differentness, of strangerhood, that is the result of what the Bible just calls the fall. So our first parents, the first humans, when they were together, they, man, they were just, they were in perfect unison. They did not feel the, the need to hide or they weren't ashamed of anything. Their relationship was tight and good and nothing was in the way. Their relationship with God was great and nothing was in the way. But then human sin entered into the picture. It wasn't just us sin, but sin entered us and entered the world. And that caused not only estrangement from God, which it did cause, but it caused us, you, you see this right in Genesis chapter three, it causes estrangement between the man and the woman. And that speaks to us of the estrangement that is now between all men and women. There's something, there's something to the effect that people can share your joy to a degree. They can share your sorrow to a degree, but you've experienced this. They can't really experience everything that you experience. There's just, there's just a disconnect. There's a strangerhood. We are estranged from one another on a deep fundamental level. I remember I was a freshman in high school and I got the opportunity to go on this trip to Canada. We go up to the Canadian boundary waters and we do some fishing and we just kind of camp out for a week. And I don't know how I even got in because I was a freshman and it was mostly seniors that went. And so we went on this trip together. I spent the whole week feeling like a stranger. I felt like, man, these people are you know, we're just different. Like they're just into different things. I'm just younger. I'm not, I'm not thinking about the things that they're thinking about in the same way. I just didn't feel like I was in place. You've been that way. You've been in a place where you're like, I just don't feel like I'm, I belong here. There's something wrong. Now, sometimes it's because yes, you're, you're different in some ways, but in, in another way, it's because of the fall. It's because of the estrangement that is just part of the setup on planet earth right now. We are estranged from one another. Now that's true of every human, but then it goes even a level deeper. It goes to a third level deeper for those who are people of faith, who've put their faith in Jesus Christ for him to be their leader and their forgiver. There's a new kind of strangerhood that even is maybe a little bit more difficult on some levels because when we put our faith in Christ, in addition to being forgiven, the Holy Spirit of Jesus comes and sets up residence within inside of us. And he goes to work, man. He gets to modeling that clay of our heart inside of us. And here's what he's gonna do. He's in some ways going to increase the differentness because what you're gonna find, anyone who starts following Christ, you're gonna find that as the Holy Spirit enters in, you start to lose your taste for some things that you used to think like, oh no, there's nothing wrong with that. Suddenly like the Holy Spirit in you is like, actually, I don't like that. And so now you're feeling a little bit more different. And there's, there's even new desires that he gives you that you're like, oh, I want this. And it seems like the rest of the world doesn't want this. And so now I'm feeling even more and more strange. And the people of God in the Bible, this, this motif, this idea of being a stranger, a third level stranger. There's something else that the world around me that used to accept me. Now there's this like, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's a family member that just doesn't like the ways that I'm changing. But in other ways, the entire world is saying, that's not the way we do it here. And we can feel like, wow, I, I feel like I'm strange 
even among the people I used to not feel strange around. And this repeats this idea right throughout the Bible. Hebrews 11.9, talking about Abraham, one of the big patriarchs of the faith. Okay, this is how he's described. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. This is a land that God had promised to Abraham and all of his offspring, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him to the same promise. They were believing God for a promise. They were on their way, and yet they were called into a land where they felt like they were strangers as they tried to do the will of God. Well, down through the generations, it talks about all these people that followed Abraham, and all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive all the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers here on earth. If we're going to be people of faith, those who are, you've got to know, you've got that third level differentness. You've got that third level strangerhood, and that's actually right. That's actually good. That's how we're supposed to go through the world. So now we're going to get some advice from the apostle Peter. And I love Peter. I don't know about you. I so like, I get Peter. I feel like he gets me on some level. Okay. So Peter, especially when he's younger, he's kind of a loud mouth. Like, you know, he's the first one to, to put his foot in his mouth. He's the first one to step in and be like, I got a dumb idea. Like he, and he doesn't, he's not even embarrassed about it. Like he just jumps right in. And I feel like that's me so often. He, I like, especially as I was younger, I just had a lot of zeal and I, I just jump right. In. I got a dumb idea because I'm excited. And yet, as Peter matures, you know, he's also, not only is he the most zealous and sometimes does something wrong, but he's also the most zealous and often does stuff right that other people are afraid to do. So he's the first one, you know, he's the only one that identifies, you are the Christ, the son of the most high God. That's who you are, Jesus. I'll tell you who you are. He's the first one who's like, oh, Jesus walking in water. Hey, I'll go. He gets out of the boat. He's like me. And of course, you know, he, he wipes out a little bit. But better to wipe out, and you tried it, than not try it at all. And he's the one who gets up. He's, he, he, he's ready to lead. By the time the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, he's like, all right, this is, what the Holy, this is what God prepared me for. So he gets up and starts talking. And I just feel like Peter so, so often. Like, I do something dumb, and I'm like, I think I got something right. Do something dumb, think I got something right. So Peter knows what it's like to be a stranger. He was a stranger uh, you know, when he was with Jesus, people didn't always like him. He was, tradition tells us Peter was crucified upside down because of his commitment to the master. So he understands what it's like to be a stranger. Now in his older age, he's writing to these people that the gospel's breaking forward. It's going into new territories, new regions. It's not just in Jerusalem. It's not just in Antioch. It's going into new places and people are being, they're, they're suffering. They're getting into difficulties. They're experiencing not only the, the third level strangerhood that we're probably experiencing, but there's a social difference for them than there would be for us. For them, they're among a people where the normal people think, if you don't follow our Roman gods, you hate us. You wish curse upon us. If you don't worship Zeus, if you don't worship Aphrodite, it's because you're trying to provoke them to send a famine or something. And so, so if, if, if you've got neighbors and you're a Christ follower, they're looking at you like a little weird. And they might even like, hey, look, I'm not buying anything from you. Hey, I'm not selling you anything either because you're bringing judgment on our city, possibly. And so there's this social you know, distance that is, that is between people, and they're undergoing not only uh, that kind of difficulty and suffering, but they're just, they're in danger of actual death, okay? So that, that's another difference for most of us right now. We've got, uh, scholars have got letters that were written during that time of soldiers writing to their captains saying, I don't know what to do with these Christians. 
okay? I, I don't know if I should just kill them. I don't know if they get, they get different penalties for how long they've been a Christian. Some of them recant, and people would really do this. They'd say, oh, I've been a Christian. You know, I was a Christian 25 years ago. Don't, don't pay attention to me. And they'd renounce Christ. Otherwise, they'd be killed. And so that's the kind of pressure that they're feeling. So I know you feel pressure. I know you're going to feel pressure this year. You might not feel that level of pressure. And these are the people that Peter's writing to. This is what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles, that's the same word, strangers, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, gospel spreading, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Is the old father Peter now is talking to him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. These strangers are undergoing difficulties and here's where the letter takes a turn. In all this, he just described a bunch of stuff, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They're going through moments, probably like many of us. Have you, have you been there? Have you gotten that, that moment where you're saying, why do I even have to deal with this? Why is this happening to me? Why am I the one? How is this my life? And perhaps you've suffered some kind of a ridicule or persecution because of your commitment to Christ. Maybe, you know, on the job, you, your desire, I don't want to do that immoral thing. And it draws kind of the ire of the boss or, or something like that. Maybe there's, there's other students that don't like the way that you carry yourself. They wish that you would you know, just quit acting like a goody-goody. So there's, there's some kind of like difficulty you experience there. But the rest of us, maybe you're just suffering in general. Maybe you've just got a, a marriage that's hanged by a string and you don't know what this coming year is going to be about. Maybe you're dealing with inflation and you're like, dude, I mean, I, I thought I could make six months. I don't know if I can make another 18 months. I don't know how much further I can go with this thing. Maybe you've just got the pain of relationships that you know, you just got mad and you, you were maybe even a little bit rash and you're just like, ah, forget it. And that's what can happen sometimes when we're in pain. Have you noticed this? When you're in a intense pain, sometimes that's the worst time to make a, a decision because you just react like Esau with the bowl of soup. Just like, just give it to me. And you just throw away stuff that might've been really good. You might like quit your job. And the truth is if you would just been a little more patient and just calm down, you might've had that job for another 10 years and it might've actually, it might've really blessed you. And I'm not saying that's true of everybody, but Often there's just things that we can do when we're in pain that we wouldn't have done otherwise. And when we're in enough pain, we begin to lose hope. And we start to find that we're looking down a whole lot more than we're looking up. And in those places, Peter comes with his advice. He comes and says, I've got some stuff that I want you to reflect on. Now, what I'm going to tell you guys in this sermon, you're not even going to really believe it. You're like, that sounds too Christian. Well, the Bible does sound very Christian a lot of the time, but you're going to find that if we actually practice this, if we remember and rehearse the truths that God is speaking into us through these passages, through the apostle Peter, you're going to find that, yes, you're still experiencing the same suffering that, you know, similar to these folks were, but you're able to, honestly, dude, like you're able to run to the finish line. This, you can do this indefinitely. You're able to praise your way all the way home. How many want some of that today? Does that sound good? Okay, we, we got to get it and then we got to keep it, but we can survive almost anything if we have hope. So verse seven says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
The genuineness of your faith is proven when you're suffering all kinds of trials. Trials have a way of like pulling back the curtain and saying, here's what's really here. Trials have a way of purifying you. They have a way of teaching you to hold on. They have a way of getting us to let go of some wrong attitudes, some wrong sin. Trials stretch our faith. See, here's what's happening often when we're walking through a trial. We're walking through a trial on planet Earth, and we're like, God, why? Why is this going on? And it's really, really hard. And then as we get down the road a little bit, so you can't see God often very well while you're in the trial. But you get down the road, you get down the road a year or two, and you look back and be like, doggone, God was there. God was being faithful to me. That's why young, precious ones that I love so much and respect so much, you got to keep walking. See, maturity just teaches stuff that just ideas can't. Mature. If you just keep on walking, after a while, you keep looking back and you're like, doggone, he was faithful again. Decade after decade, doggone, he was faithful again. And you begin to predict like, yeah, man, this is kind of tough, but he's been faithful now for you know, many times of this. I believe he's going to be faithful again. He's going to use it somehow. He's going to work for my good. He's going to bring blessing up <clears throat> through it. Now, some of us, we got to be careful because when we're undergoing suffering, we're starting to question our value. We're saying, well, if God loves me so much. Why am I going through this? Why do I have to deal with this if God loves me so much? Don't, don't take that bait from Satan. If I had a crisp, brand new $100 bill and I waved it in the air, I said, who wants this? Probably just about every hand would go up. We'd get some hand raise emojis online. Now, if I took that same $100 bill and I crumpled it up, you know, and I like put it on the ground and stomped on it and got it really messed up looking, then I picked it up and spit on it, you know, and I rubbed it together in my hands. And then I held it up, just a little ball. I said, who wants it now? Probably most of you would still say, yeah, I still want it. I mean, it's nasty, but I still, that's still a hundred bucks, man. Still a hundred bucks, right? See, here's the thing that God does in secret. He allows the world, he allows the difficulties of life to crumple us up and scuff us up. And we feel like we've been spit on and, and we're just crumpled up in a ball. But see, God's a God that at some point he's gonna say, now watch this. And he's gonna unfold that thing. And he says, this is worth more than gold to me. See the faith that she kept walking in. She didn't even have anything but a mustard seed of faith, but she kept walking. And now I'm showing her off. I'm showing her off as a trophy. This is the one, do what she does. Believe like she did. Her value doesn't change just because she's getting beat up. In fact, that's part of God's plan to show off his glory and your ability in him to persevere. Though you've seen him, Though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith. He's talking about when you're going through all these trials, you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When we come to trust Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. One of the things he does is he begins to birth a love for Jesus inside of us. As long as we cooperate with him, we'll start to love Jesus more and more. As we behold Christ in the scriptures, we'll start to love Jesus more and more. And when you love something, you're willing to go through things that you might not have gone through had you not loved them so much. So in my house, there's things that I do and there's things that I'm probably not gonna do, okay? If a dog throws up on the floor, hey, I got stuff to do. I gotta go. Dad doesn't do that. These are your dogs, okay? I'm not doing that. If there's any, yeah, Kenzie knows. Still, I'll tell you. That's true. I ain't cleaning that up. There's all kinds of messy stuff I ain't cleaning up. Look, man, I'll deal with the weird people at the door, okay? Like, I'll clean some of the, you know, the garage stuff, but I ain't touching that. Unless 
one of my kids throws up. One of my kids, I don't want to clean it up. But I also, my heart breaks for them because like, well, I can't just leave them there in their puke. I, I love them. I'm going to step in and I'm going to do some cleaning. How many know what I'm talking about? And sometimes, my friend, when we're in a trial, that's what keeps us going. Is we're saying, look, man, I don't like this. I didn't like it the last time and I don't like it this time. But I do love Jesus. He's, he's earned my love and respect when he hung on that tree for me. And so I'm just going gonna, gonna to go ahead and love him. Now, here's what some of us can do. Here's a next step for you is when you're in the trial, you're not really thinking about it like that. You're just thinking like, oh, this sucks. I just want to get out of this. Instead of thinking, this is an opportunity for my love for Jesus to grow. For me to demonstrate, I'm willing to go through anything for you. Now that comes, what do we, we just saw through the Holy Spirit. I've got to pray, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm in this intense moment, but give me such love for Jesus that I don't mind picking up the puke. I don't mind going through this because I know my God is a rewarder and it's going to be worth it. Somebody say, it's going to be worth it. Should I speed up or just let, let's take our time in God's word? All right. Trouble is less troubling when we remember and rehearse. Troubling is less, trouble is less troubling when we remember and rehearse. Sometimes we know truth, but we only a little bit know it. When we have to practice it, we have to remember it and rehearse it, it we activate it. Now I'm, I'm trying to walk in this faith. Let me give you a different illustration. Psychologists tell us that you can only remember about six or seven things at max in your short-term memory. Right? So if you're on the way to Meyer and you're like, and you, for some reason you don't write it down, you're just like, okay, they told me I got to get peas, I got to get carrots, I get salt, sugar, um, and I got to get a doily for his doily collection. All right, I can get those things. And you're, you're repeating it in your mind. You're just repeating it, repeating it, repeating. You're trying to keep it in your short-term memory. But that's, all the, that's, that's where it is. The moment you like step past the cash register, woo, it's gone, Right? Well, for some of us, the truth about Jesus's goodness, the fact that he's going to work everything together for our good, the fact that he loves us, that he's always with us, that he's going to take care of us, it's in our short-term spiritual memory. We're like, oh, I know it. But when we get into the difficult things, the pressing things, the trying things, that's where we say, I need to get this down into my long-term Jesus memory. I need to get this so I'm living it. I don't have to remember it. You don't have to remember the Pledge of Allegiance. You just know it. That's what we're talking about. You want to get it down that deep of like, no, dude, I know in my soul. It, it's hard. I don't like it. God's not asking me to like it, but he's asking me to, to know him and know his faithfulness that he is not going to let me down. gum. I like this church. I would go here. If I didn't already go here, I'd just start, I'd start again. What do we have to rehearse? Number one, the identity of the strangers. The identity of the strangers. We're the strangers. We've got we to gotta remember the identity. We've got to rehearse it. Has it occurred to you that maybe as a third tier stranger, maybe you're not supposed to fit in here. Maybe you're not supposed to. Maybe that's why sometimes you feel so different because you're not supposed to fit in. My, my wife and I, we went to Jamaica for our 10th and 20th wedding anniversary. And when we get there, you know, I mean, it's a little bit different. Anybody who's been to Jamaica, you know, they just roll a little bit different. It's not very different, but it's a little different. Pace is a little bit slower, a little bit more melody to the way people talk. You know, we just like it. Now, for those of you who've visited any kind of, you know, foreign country, even just a different place in the nation, you know, you get there. When you know you're only going to be there a week, you're like, that's cool, man. I like the way that they're doing this, but I'm not going to become that thing. I'm not going to absorb it because I'm going home. I got my own culture. I like this. It's fun to like feel, but I, I'm going somewhere else. For those who are third tier strangers here on earth, it feels, ah, it feels, I feel out of place. This is weird. Instead of saying, oh, I just better get used to it. I say, no, I'm going home. No wonder it feels weird because I'm not from here. 
I'm now, I've been grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ. And now I don't belong here. I belong somewhere else. So maybe part of my identity, and this, we got to get down into the identity place. My identity is, yeah, the doy, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. That's why it feels weird. You're estranged from your fellow man. You're very different from other people. And by the way, you don't even belong here anymore. You're a part of a different culture. You're a heavenly citizen. So feel, things feel out of place. Why do things feel so weird? Because they should feel weird. Because God doesn't want you to get comfortable here. He says, oh, baby, don't invest here. Verse two, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Let's talk about foreknowledge for a second. We think, we hear the word foreknowledge and we think, oh, you know, God kind of like he foreknows. He, he, He understands, he has the facts. Like you'd know something out of Wikipedia. He, he knows it. But in the Bible, often knowledge or knowing has to do with intimacy, even sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. It has to do with, no, I know the insides and outs of them. I know them. That's the biblical idea of knowing. So when God foreknows you, he doesn't just know some factoids about you. He didn't just like pick you as, as the donut of the day out of all you know, the donuts possible. When he foreknew you, precious, he knew everything everything about you and everything that you would ever do right and wrong, every place that you would fail, every place that you would make a mistake, every place you didn't feel like you would live up. He knows you. And he says, pick. I'm going to pick that one. I choose that one. I want that one to understand my mercy. I want that one to experience the freedom and forgiveness of my blood, covering them and paying the debt that they owe. And so I don't mind if they're going to have to live a little different. In fact, I chose them to be different. You see what you said? not only sprinkled with his blood, but to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Here's the obedience part. See, Jesus does save us to bless us. He saves us to to enjoy him forever. And the blessing way outweighs the difficulty, but he also chose you to have a responsibility. He chose you for a purpose. He chose you for obedience. As we align ourselves with God's will, he releases the great, awesome blessings that he couldn't release without that. So when when we say God chose you, let's just recognize what he chose you for. Yes, for blessing, for salvation, but also for obedience, for purpose, for responsibility, to matter, to make it count, to not waste our years, to not bury it in the sand. He chose you to move forward. So when when Jesus says, hey man, um, by the way, I paid a lot for you to be different. So quit trying to act like everybody else. You don't have to be like them. I paid for you to not be like them. That's what I paid for. I don't know, man, I feel like if I'm just gonna be honest, I like to be vulnerable at my church. I feel like I'm preaching better than you're amen in, just so you know. Maybe you guys online, maybe you're doing it for me. Keep it up. Praise, here it is. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what's my identity? Praise to the God and Father. There was a, you know, just an older boy on a plane sitting next to an older woman, okay? Boy, woman. He's playing with his action figures, Right? He's got Star Wars figures. He's playing with them. He's enjoying it. Everybody can see he's having a good time. But the plane starts to experience turbulence and suddenly it gets bad. Okay. And now it's like you get that, like your stomach drops. And this, this older gal, she's like, I'm getting weirded out. I'm getting freaked out. People are looking around. They're getting a little nervous. And she looks at the boy. And he's still just, he's just playing. He's enjoying his toys. And she says, young man, how are you? How are you not scared about this? And he looks at her, just looks over like a kid would, smiles. Says, my daddy's the pilot. So my daddy's the pilot. He says, my lady, I know the one in charge. 
I know his, uh, I know his credentials. I know his past faithfulness. I know he's got it. So yeah, there might be some bumps. There might be some stomach drops, but I know my father is the one guiding the whole thing. Are we hearing that? What, what do we need when we're going through difficulties? We remember who's in charge of the plane. Who's the captain here? Who's the one doing this? When I feel like a stranger, I need to remember my daddy is actually already pre-understood everything that's going to happen to me. I think I'm good. This is where we, we begin to say, I, I don't mind being different. I don't mind feeling like I'm a stranger because I'm gonna walk in truth. I'm just gonna respond. Yeah, but I'm also, I'm chosen by Jesus. I'm saved. I'm sprinkled with the blood of Christ. I'm on my way to heaven. I've got a destiny that is unchangeable. No one can snatch me out of his hand. Number two, the family line of strangers. Trouble is us troubling when we remember and rehearse the identity of strangers and the family line of strangers. Oh, I love this one. I love this one. Here we go. I'm just gonna keep going. If you were in Christ, you were transplanted. You were grafted into the family of God. And you have all the rights, all the privileges, all that comes with that. This is what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter four. Abraham's children were not just his physical children, but his spiritual children. You are, you're in the same line now. You're in the same line as Abraham, David, Jesus himself. You are in that, you're grafted in. That's your family line. Now listen, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets, he's talking about way back now, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Paul says, okay, in times past, the prophets, they would get some of it. They would, they would, they would, they would prophesy, they'd write it down. And they'd be like, okay, well, you have this suffering servants, yeah, and Messiah and, and this forever king. And, and I, don't, I don't totally get it. It's hidden from me. I don't get everything, but I'm searching intently the scriptures. I'm going back in time. I'm checking out the law, checking out the Pentateuch, trying to find out what is God saying about this Messiah? And you know what they did? They were faithful to search and try to understand. And my friends, we've got to be faithful like them. That's part of our family line. We do what our forefathers and mothers did. We search. We go ahead and get to know the scriptures. That's, by the way, a little plug, that's something you can do at the Grove. Uh, which starts in a few weeks on Wednesday nights, okay? One of the things we're gonna be doing is learning how to study the Bible for ourselves, learning how to give ourselves to the next. Another one is learning how to pray in the spirit in a way that we hear from God. They searched intently with the greatest chair. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, check this out, check this out, that they were not serving themselves, but you. They were not serving themselves. It was, they, got, they got it, it was revealed to them. They're not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from, sent from heaven, even angels long to look at, into these things, meaning it's a great privilege. It's a great privilege. What happened? The prophets saw it. They spoke it. They passed it down. And Peter says, and it arrived all the way to you from the people that preached the gospel to you. There's a line from them all the way to you. They were serving you when it got to you. Now you're in their family line. Now you pass it down as well. It was passed to you, now pass it down. This has all kinds of uh, deep, cool lessons that we need to remember. One, we need to pass the baton. Okay, if, if you got God's word, you got it from somewhere and you need to pass it on. Aren't you so glad that somebody said, hey, by the way, let me introduce you to God's word. And that was passed down. According to Peter, that was passed all the way down. But it's not just that there needs to be a baton pass, and there does need to be. 
That also tells us they looked and they didn't understand everything and they found out that they were serving you. That means we can go through our entire lives serving God and we are not even aware of it, but we are serving those to come. Just like they were. Can can you get your mind around that? Can you get your mind how vast and big God is? In other words, you may be doing things and going through difficult trials in your life that affect three, four, five generations from now of your offspring because of what you did or what you suffered or what you went through, what you sacrificed in order for the blessing to maintain down that line. Is that trippy or what? Only God, only God can even think that stuff through. And yet that's what might be true of every one of us within the sound of our voice. There's things that you are going through. It ain't even for you. It's for them. I remember a few years ago, the spirit of God, I really believe he told me, you need to start praying for your descendants more. I'd I'd never really taken that as an assignment. I was like, man, they're tough luck for them. And then, you know, my own nation starts to crumble in so many ways. I'm like, day gum, they do need some prayer because I don't know what's coming for them. My friends, the point is, we should not always interpret our trials to be even about us. What we have to do is pass on what you have been given. So a question, are you passing it on? Because you come from some really stout, awesome, amazing things. Did you know that? William Tyndale, one of my favorite heroes of the faith, kind of at the beginning, breaking into the Reformation. He was a guy who had zeal for the scriptures, but see, nobody in England, almost nobody had a Bible. It wasn't in their language. And he wanted to go back to the Greek. Hey, we've got some tools now. We can get to the Greek. We can get to the original language of the New Testament. How about if everybody has that? What if we could translate that? And a learned person, as, as he's talking about this, says to him, we were better to be without God's laws than the popes. He's like, hey, man, look, we got, we got the pope and the church and the priest. They can just tell us what to do. Just let's, let's be fine with that. And Tyndall says, if God spared my life many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more scripture than you do. He gave himself and he ended up giving his life for the transmission of God's word to the people of England, to the rest. And and we we take this for granted, man, because you can have 39 different translations on your shelf. That has not been most of history. The Bible is precious. And you've got people in your spiritual heritage that baby, the world was not worthy of them. He gave his life. He was strangled to death and then burned at the stake for being a heretic, for wanting the scriptures in the English language. That's where you come from. That's your spiritual stock. In my house, sometimes we'll just say stuff like, hey, Carters do hard things. It's a little hard, well, good, because Carters do hard hard things. A little painful, well, that's fine, because Carters can take a little pain. What do you do at your house? What what are the the messages that you send to other people? What What are you passing down? Here's what I'd love for fiercers to say. I'd love for fiercers to say, fiercers keep going when others have given up. Fierce people, you know, it's, it's not your, your run-of-the-mill Christ follower. Fierce people, when other people give up, they keep on going. When love gets hard, fiercers love harder. When love gets hard, fiercers love harder. That's, what, that's just what we do. And it, but it's not just fiercers, really. It's the, it's the uh, inheritance. It's the privilege of those who are part of the spiritual family. God's people are faithful to pass it down for the sake of not only their descendants, but because it's who they are. So when you're going through, when it's real difficult, doggone, this is hard. Say, well, thank God I'm not being burned at the stake today because my spiritual forefathers were. And it was a privilege. And they did it. And God be praised if I could ever be an inspiration to those who are coming behind me. 
Psalm 39, 34, 19. I just want to read it because it's dope. Here's something you can tell the devil. The righteous face many trials, but the Lord rescues them from each and every one. Yeah, I hear you. It's hard. Hey, um, the righteous do face many trials, meaning those who are in Christ in his righteousness, but the Lord rescues them from each and every one. Here's the third and last one. With the identity of strangers, we got to remember and reflect on it. Family line of strangers. We're from an amazing people. And number three, the destiny of strangers. Verse four says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. It's reserved for you. The, the NASB says reserved for you. What that means is, oh, you're going through, you're going through something hard. I, I, I feel for you. I'm with you. I've been through hard stuff, baby. I know hard is real. Absolutely. But when as we're going through stuff hard, we, we want to remember and rehearse, rehearse this. It is hard, but it's about to get great. It's hard, but it's about to get great. And I don't even know. It might be really sooner than I think. Um, it is hard, but check this out. Death is gain. According to the Apostle Paul, death is gain, baby. Well, the worst thing, the best thing that happened to me, honestly, on some level, is to die. Because then I get access to my reward. So what are we saying? We're saying it's going to be worth it. Let's pretend that you inherited today. You're going to find out that you inherited the entire Microsoft empire. Okay, Bill Gates, he just picked you. He's like, you. It's all for you, man. You're going to have access to everything pretty much in the world. You're going to have access to so much power, so much wealth. It's just going to be yours. You can have it. Well, you know what's a bazillion times better than that? It's God's inheritance. For God to say, by the way, I don't just own stuff on planet Earth. I own everything. And I own everything in heaven. And I'm giving it to you. And it's kept in heaven, reserved for you. I love it when Kenzie and I go to a restaurant. And, and you got a host that's a little bit more on their game. And we roll up. And they're like, oh, Mr. Carter, oh, hello. Hey, welcome. We've been waiting for you. This is reserved for you right over here. You know, they just kind of get very deferential. Use your imagination now. Use your CGI imagination. Can you imagine rolling up to heaven? They say, oh my gosh, we've been waiting for you. Wait till you see this. Wait, it's, it's, it's just right here. We reserved it for you. It's been waiting for you. I know those things were hard, but you're going to forget all about those when you see this. It's kept in heaven waiting for you. Can you imagine if we spent our days thinking about those kinds of things? Instead of, I mean, I, I love that technology can do what it does. I love, you know, CGI movies where you can see all kinds of stuff that you're wondering if it's real. But sometimes I think that takes away from just the activation of our own imagination, imagining heavenly realities. I'm so, I, I look at Thanos and I stop thinking about my inheritance in heaven. Let's think about heaven. Let's think about your destiny. Let's think about where you're going. It's kept for you. It's reserved for you. It's shielded you, you are shielded and protected by God's power, verse five, until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed the last time. My friend, we are not waiting on some scientific discovery. Your joy and peace doesn't have to depend on who's on the Supreme Court or who's in the White House or who the whoever is or how you're connected to so-and-so. You don't have to worry about any of that because the truth is that's gonna come and go and your best things are still ahead of you. It still works out great for you. Whoever's on the Supreme Court, whoever does anything, whoever you're, dude, it does, it's almost over in a blink. It's gonna be gone. And you're gonna be in your forever home. And listen here, your identity as a citizen of heaven is truer about you than just about everything else you're encountering right now in your life. It's true about you than your memberships. It's true about you than your job. It's true about you than even a lot of the 
familiar relationships you have. It is the most true thing about you. You are blood-bought, saved by the cross of Jesus Christ, and you are headed for heaven, and it is your inheritance forever and ever, worshiping the king, sitting at his feet, loving it. That's what you are. That's where you're going. That's your destiny. Hey, Peter, this is who we are. This is where we're going. Are we hearing this today? In all this, what does he want us to do? Verse six, in all this, you greatly rejoice. What do you do when you're going through? You greatly rejoice. You make merry. You celebrate. You say, I know, but I'm going to celebrate because of where I'm going and the family line that I'm a part of and who I've been made in Christ. God be praised. So I thought maybe a way that we could end this message is to celebrate what's to come by partaking in communion. If you want to grab your little guy right here, if you don't have one, raise your hand and somebody will bring it around to you. Folks online, if you want to grab your little bread and juice or soda pop, whatever you're using, come along with us and do it. Communion, for those of you who don't know, this is something Jesus himself asked us to practice, to commemorate not only his death and resurrection, but his return. The fact that we, we, Jesus says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me until I come, meaning one of the things the church is just supposed to do, there's not a ton of things we're just supposed to do, but we're just supposed to do this to celebrate that, hey man, we're here right now in the hard, but Jesus is coming back. I'm either gonna go to him first or he's gonna come back first. One of the two. That's what this is about celebrating. Now I wanna read from a little different passage to hear this a little bit different way as we take communion. When the time came there at the last supper, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Do you know that Jesus knows your suffering better than anybody? No matter how hard it is, Jesus knows your suffering. For I tell you that I will not eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I know what it is to suffer. I heard this quote recently. Trauma tells a wordless story about what is safe and not safe. Trauma tells a wordless story. Scars sometimes tell a traumatic story. When you have a scar, when a woman has a C-section, she might think it's unsightly, that scar that's left, but you know what that really is? It's proof of her love. She's saying to that child, you're worth it, man. You're worth my trauma for you to be here. Jesus has in heaven still the scars in his hands. He has the scar in his side because he wants everyone to know forever. Um, I don't want you to forget that it was a lot of trauma that brought you here. It wasn't just easy, it hurt. I suffered so I could get you here. Your destiny, your identity, your family, that's because of the trauma that I suffered. Are we hearing this? And Jesus says, you do this, you, you take communion because you're saying you're waiting for me, but check this out. What, you see what he just said? I tell you, I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says, I'm waiting to eat this last supper meal, this communion meal, all as one big family together in heaven. I'm waiting till everybody is there. So you're waiting for Jesus, he's waiting for you. You ever had, you're at Thanksgiving and so-and-so didn't get here yet. You're like, ah, well, you know, tough luck for them, we're eating. Jesus says, no, 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 we're not eating until everyone's here. We're waiting for them. We're gonna do this meal together, this feast of the lamb when everybody's here. So you're waiting for Jesus, he's waiting for you. And his scars tell the untold story of his trauma. Then he, 
Then he took a cup of wine. We're gonna actually do them in reverse order, I guess, today. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink again until the kingdom of God has come. Let's take this wine. I'll give you a minute because I know it's sometimes a trial to get that doggone thing open. Am I in this trial right now? We're going to get new versions of these just so everybody know. I'm prophesying in 2023. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I guess they had two sips of wine. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, with my trauma, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we, just like we need food and we need drink, we need you. We take you into ourselves and we recognize it was very costly for all these things to be true of us that we talked about today. We just invite you in again. We pray that you'd increase our love for you. Even in the midst of fiery trials, we pray, you know, end them ASAP. Help us learn all the lessons that are in them that we can, but grow our love while we're in them for yourself. God, thank you that you're waiting for us to start the meal. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.